This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're here today on Deadline's Crew Call with Jared Levine, the longtime manager of the late Robbie Robertson, who was nominated for his first Oscar, the original score for Apple Original Films, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. So, Jared Levine, Robbie Robertson's longtime manager, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. So, tell me about how your working relationship with Robbie started, and where was he in his career at the time? I started working with Robbie in 1989 when he was getting ready to um, put together uh, his uh, solo record, Storyville. And he asked me to, um, to help coordinate it. He just needed somebody to, to help hire musicians, book studios, things like that. And um, we just hit it off right away. I knew a lot about the musicians that he was interested in working with. And I'm a musician myself, so I'm a drummer. So um, we just started from there and ended up working together for 34 years. What was his thoughts on those solo projects on the time though? Was he, was he content with the results? Did he, did he feel that he said everything that he needed to say? I think he always, he always gave his all for everything. All the project, any project he worked with and worked on. I mean, the first thing that I really, you know, coming in and, and working with him and I didn't know him personally when I started working with him, what I realized was he, he showed up every day, six or seven days a week. He was there first. He was there last, and he was um, always, you know, trying to, you know, create. And I thought, wow, this guy. I was like, this is so. This is what it takes, you know. It's not something that just comes out of the, you, you know. You're not just touched by some creative force. It's about showing up every day and doing the work. So his focus was that. And when he was done, and when he gave everything he had to 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 a song or a project or the out, you know, felt like the album he had worked as hard as he could and gotten it as good as he can conceivably do. I think he was satisfied that that he had done that kind of work, and that's how he was as, as an artist. He he did not leave too many stones unturned in in trying to you know make it as good as he could possibly do. So I don't think he had any regrets, you know, it, it always spurred him on to do better next time on his next record and, and to see whether there were things that he could do to make the records more, you know, more of something for himself and for the public. So his relationship with Martin Scorsese clearly goes back away. And I'm curious, did you ever hear stories about how they met? Were they just in the same social circles? Oh no, they weren't. Um, originally, there was a there was a um, tour manager for the band named Jonathan Taplin, who um, you know he had worked with the band for a couple of years, 
but the band were having, you know, there were substance abuse problems and they weren't touring as much. And so Jonathan said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to try to produce some films and I've got some opportunities and I'm sitting around waiting for, you know, you guys to go on the road. So I, I, I need to do something else. And he went and he produced Mean Streets for Marty and he called Robbie and he was like, I need you to, you, you got to come see this movie that we've made. So Robbie screened it and he thought, wow, this guy, Martin Scorsese, really knows how to use music and films in a way that's unique and something I've never seen before, you know, and, and as he did in Mean Streets. And he thought, wow, it's bold and, and it's so, such an interesting film and filmmaking. And so there was that in his mind. And when it came time when Robbie wanted to, you know, put an end to the band being on the road and do the last waltz and he thought we should document this we should film this he thought well who should i go and who can i talk to and he was like the first person he thought of was marty he thought you know this guy gets it and he had known that marty had um directed and been a director on the woodstock film which of course you know robbie had played at woodstock so he he knew that Marty had this connection with music and had done work like that. So he um, he thought he got in touch with Jonathan Taplin and he said, you know, I want you to set it up so I can talk to Marty. And he did. And he said and he told him about the thing. And Marty said, I can't do it. I'm making New York, New York. I'm in the middle of this film. I'm finishing it up and I can't, I can't do it. And Robbie said, but we're doing it over Thanksgiving weekend, you know, and it's going to be Van Morrison and Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. And, you know, after a few glasses of wine, Marty was like, screw it. I got to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, I can't not do it. So he just was like, nobody will know. We can't tell anybody. And um, because there was a, you know, he was he was making a film for United Artists and he couldn't he couldn't make another film while he was making a film. So he just said, as long as we keep it on the down low, I'll have my whole crew come and we'll film it over Thanksgiving. And, um, and we, they were taking a break then anyway. So that's how um, that came about. But no, they weren't in the same social circle. Exactly. They, he just had that that uh, friend in common. So Robbie worked with Marty on several movies as far as whether he was an executive music producer or even a composer, such as was the case with The Irishman. But why did Killers of the Flower Moon mean more to Robbie than arguably everything he's done with the filmmaker? Well, I would say, I mean, first, it, it, it's because of um, his heritage, his his mom being... Uh, Mohawk from Six Nations. He grew up um, in, you know, going, you know, spending his summers at Six Nations with his relatives there. And so that was, that was a, a big part of his life. He was basically raised by his mother. And so him being able to do work in the Native American music world was important to him and, and so I think this this was the first film that he'd worked on with Marty that allowed him to, you know, go deep in that in that area. Um, so that that was one thing. And of course, it was also the film that he was being asked to do a full score for. Usually with Marty, 
they would discuss, um, you know, they, we'd get the script, we'd read the script, Marty and Robbie would talk about ideas, music ideas, and a lot of um, music would fly back and forth between them, pre-recorded music. And Marty would start, as soon as he finished the film, he'd start, you know, editing using pre-recorded music. And it would only be when there were se certain scenes in films where he'd say, I need something for this. And so then Robbie would be like, okay, let me work on, you know, so we'd get a scene or, or three or four scenes that Marty would need music for. And Robbie would go to work coming up, composing for those scenes. Killers of the Flower Moon was the first movie where Marty was like, this one's going to have to be scored from the start. There isn't going to be a lot of opportunity for pre-recorded music in this film. And so, um, I'm going to need music from you composed right away. And, and Robbie knew that this was an epic film that was going to need a lot more music than he'd ever composed for Marty before. So I think there were, there was, you know, the fact that it was so much was being asked of him and that it was a native American film and that it was for Marty. And also Robbie also knew that, there weren't going to be that many more opportunities like this. So I think all of that really meant so much to, to Robbie and to Marty and, and to why um, this really was what Robbie considered like the culmination of their, their collaborative creative world. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a sublime, amazing blues score that underscores the tension building up in the Osage community. And I'm wondering, can you tell us about how Robbie found the beat, found the sound, found the rhythm? I'm hearing a lot of Native American instruments in here. Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 a lot of, you know, Rob, Robbie's um, always called it like a discovery process. I think he felt like that in all of his work. And I think in some way, that's what kept fresh the whole, the, the relationship between Marty and Robbie was that they never closed any avenues. They never were like, this is the way we need to go on this project. They always were open um, about ideas and they were, um, you know, always wanting to try things. So, it wasn't like Robbie was just going, okay, I know, you know, this is how we're going to make this. He was trying things. He was trying different things. He was, I mean, there's, there's things in here that he was, he would ask me, he was like, do you think we could do this? You know? And that's the kind of stuff that excited both Marty and Robbie were things where they were like, breaking the rules a little bit, possibly doing things that didn't seem to fit electric guitars in a movie, you know, a score from 1920, you know, a, a, a true story from 1920, yet we're using electric guitars or, you know, so yes, we had native drums in there at times and we had, you know, different, different instrumentation, but 
he wasn't limiting himself and he was really trying different things and sending them to Marty and seeing what Marty was relating to. So it's a lot of give and take. I mean, I think a lot of composers, they do what they do and that's why you hire them, you know, and the directors don't have that necessarily like, um, it's not a collaboration with the director in some way. It's usually just, you hired me. This is what I do. This is what you got. Here's your score. You know, there's a bit more of that than what this relationship is. There's a lot with Robbie and Marty where they're working back and forth with each other. So Robbie will compose several pieces and record several pieces and, and send them to Marty, trying to find out what, what's working for the film. And Marty's like, loves some of the stuff that he's, but he says, I love it, but I don't know where I, where to put it. And there's other things where he's like, I love it. And I know exactly what to do. And it just, he, he weaves it into his edit and it becomes like, you know, where you can't separate the music from the visuals. They're just, we, he weaves them together. So it's not layered on top. Like a lot of score is layered on top of the images. This is, you know, the way that they work together, it was not, it was something where Marty would ask for some, uh, some of the music we gave him was before he ever was able to assemble any of the scenes for us. He wanted to put the scenes together with the music. So he asked Robbie to compose music before we had seen anything. We had only been down there. We had seen them shooting it. We had an idea. We had read the script. We had talked a lot with Marty about it, but we hadn't seen a frame of the film. And yet Marty was saying, I need music. As soon as he finished the filming, he went back to New York and he, and he was on the, he was on the phone to Robbie going, I need music now. We're, we're going to start editing and I need music. And that, and that's the first iteration is Robbie just coming up with pieces that he, that he's, you know, thinks make sense with what he knows, what he's seen, what he's heard, what they've talked about. He starts from there. And then Marty comes back to him and says, here's what's working. Here's what's working great. You know, here's what I, I love. Here's what I need more of. Then he starts sending, as he, as he shows us some of the scenes he's put together, we learn more. And then we go back in for another session of composing and recording. And we did, I'd say three or four sessions like that. There was the first iteration without having seen a thing. And then there was a next ses session after we'd seen some of the scenes. Then we saw an assemblage of the movie and we saw all the places that he had put in some of the music, but it wasn't as good as it could be. So we, we had scenes that we could work with and that's how it's put together. It's very different, I think, than, than, than may, maybe a lot of other films and a lot of other collaborations between composer and director. We lost Robbie back in August and the film premiered in Cannes at the top of the summer back in May before it was finally released in October. Was it a hard year for Robbie to finish the score? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, from the start of the score, <laughs> it was hard. He was going through some treatments and he had a couple of surgeries and we did have to, you know, and he also got COVID. <laughs> uh, there was there were a few things in there that were, you know, definitely difficulties throughout the, the making of the score. And, you know, he didn't ever tell 
Marty that there was any real problems. I mean, there were, Marty kept wanting us to come to New York and, you know, from, from the very start, he was like, when can you guys come to New York? When can you guys come to New York? And because Robbie was doing some of these things and had some of, you know, and just was having, you know, physical problems, we couldn't really do that. Um, if, you know, the way that Marty wanted us to. So it was, uh, you know, but he, Robbie never told Marty much about it. It was like, oh, I have some health things I have to take care of. And, you know, so I can't do it right now. It was, he just put it off. He, but he never really told, was telling Marty, you know, how, how difficult some of these things were. But we definitely scheduled sessions and mixing around, um, you know, things that he had to deal with, you know, in just, you know, uh, dealing with his health. Jared Levine, the longtime manager of Robbie Robertson, who is nominated, Oscar nominated for the original score of Killers of the Flower Moon. Thank you for joining us on Crew Call. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Deadline's Crew Call podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.